0: We are in John chapter 9 today. We've been shown the truth of God. We have been given the reason for hope. And too often, we sit on it. We keep it to ourselves. We, we have the cure for the world's pain. The problems of the world. And too often, we don't, we don't share. So sometimes, we might even act... Like we're apologetic or embarrassed about, about the gospel, about the cure. I, I can't help but think, as I go completely off notes, I can't help but be reminded of Naaman in the Old Testament. He was, he was a, a Damascene war leader who went to Israel to get cured of his leprosy. And he was told bathe in, that, bathe in the Jordan River seven times. And he said, that river is gross. I don't want to do that. And had to be talked into it by one of his servants, um, you know, you, you would have done it if it was a big deal. What's the, what, you know, this is just, so it's a, so it's a dirty river, big, big, big deal. He was embarrassed about the fact that God wanted to do that. And man, I think that there are times as Christians that we have this kind of Naaman attitude where God wants me to do one, what? Tell, tell people about him? I don't know, that's a little embarrassing. I don't think I want to do that we we act like we have something to apologize for but it's not our gospel we didn't write it and i don't have to apologize for it sometimes i think that we do or or worse increasingly we we tweak it we we change it to make it more palatable well i know my friends won't like this so i'll i'll change a little bit so that they sound so that it sounds better it's not our gospel we don't have the right to save people god does the saving we, we, we're in trouble if we change God's gospel. Because frankly, then it's a false gospel and it won't save. And we'll be responsible that they heard a false gospel. We, we, we can't change it to suit our needs. And so too often we read the Bible, we don't like what it says, and so we willingly blind ourselves to the truth, make our version, man, we are in the fight of our lives for what is truth. It's not even in the church anymore. Uh, in, in media, with all the conversations about misinformation and, and, and false information, and everybody's talking about the concept of objective truth versus subjective truth and feelings and my truth. And, and, and this, if you are a Christian, this is objective truth. You don't have to like it. There are things in the Bible I don't like. But I'm not going to change it to match what I like. If it's God's truth, who am I to say, well, he's wrong? He, need, he needs to modernize. He needs to get with the program, with the modern world. I've heard Christians, I've heard preachers say that. But we can't do that. We cannot blind ourselves to the truth to get the version of God that we want, the version of truth that we want. Because... and I, Pam says I use this example way too much. Fair. <laughs> My friend Bob, that got me into locksmithing that died from cancer, the way that he dealt with, I think I have cancer, was to not go see his doctor because he didn't want to hear what they would tell him. That was how, if I don't go see my doctor and nobody tells me that I have cancer, then it's not real. And of course, when he finally did go see the doctor, They said, "If you'd come six months ago, we could have treated this." But, but now it's not. You know, shutting out the truth and, and making our own truth does not save us. We cannot blind ourselves to the truth. So, what should we be seeing? What is the real gospel like? John chapter nine, verse one. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. "Go," he told him, "Wash in the pool of Siloam." This word means "sent." And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begged, beg, formerly seen him begging asked, "Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg?" Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Well, how then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. He he missed the chance to say, I didn't see where he went. So I feel like that, I feel that was the perfect, the one time in his life he was set up for that. He could never use that excuse again. You know, it's a tough question that the apostles ask Jesus, which is honestly less about sin and more about the nature of God himself. Does God cause suffering? Does he? Sit around in heaven and wait with it. the far. Do you remember the Far Side comics? They had the great comic with God sitting in front of a computer with a button that said "smite." <laughs> Does God sit around and wait to smite us? The apostles and the Pharisees were a lot. I their mind of their their mindset was very similar to Job, who lived ages before. Job's friends, I should say, who believed that God. You know, this karmic idea that when you do, do good, God rewards you, and when you do bad, God punishes you. Um, parent, parents don't do do that. By punish, I, I specifically mean do bad things. Parents don't do that. First off, I'm not always good about rewarding my kid when she does good because I don't want her to become spoiled. <laughs> I, don't, I don't bribe her to do her homework. Um, Although she's upset about this. <laughs> that was a conversation last week. Um, like, likewise, uh, when she does something wrong, sometimes it's just the chance to say, don't do that again. I not have to punish her every time she does something wrong if she, can, if she knows that she did something wrong and can learn from it. I don't know that we always need to like do something harsh to her. Um, and I don't think God works that way either. And in fact, I'm pretty sure I know that God doesn't work that way cuz there's a lot of bad people out there that they keep waiting for God to punish and they seem to be prospering. King David complains about that as well. I don't think that God just always sits and you know, that when you do good you're rewarded, when you do bad you're punished. That's the that's this karmic mindset that like Hinduism got into and Zoroastrianism, but it's not biblical, it's not Christian. So how do we deal with this? Um, how do we reconcile that God is in control but bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people? This man was born blind, disabled. He was there there are all sorts of people around the world that are that just struggle and are born with conditions. It's not fair. If we have a loving God, why doesn't he deal with that? Well, so one thing we have to recognize is that suffering does not equal evil. Um They're not, suffering is unpleasant, it's terrible, but it's not the same thing as evil. If it was evil, then why would God tell Christians throughout the New Testament, you're going to suffer for being a Christian? We look at Jesus, Peter, Paul, all the the apostles, and they suffered for doing the right thing, and God didn't prevent that, if anything. He kind of warns us in other books of the Bible, this will happen, keep up the good fight. This will, in fact, I would argue the more you share the gospel, the braver you are in bringing Jesus to a world that is lost, the more you will suffer. Satan is the prince of this world. He hates losing citizens. Every time that we tell people about Jesus... Every time they, they turn from their sin and come to repentance, Satan loses another victory. He hates that. He's going to attack us. The, I, suffering is going to come. So suffering is not equivalent of evil. Now, is suffering caused by evil people? Some, sometimes. Sometimes there are terrible people out there that will do bad things to you, and in that sense, yes, that's, that's evil on their part, but that doesn't mean you did something evil. I think I hope we get I'm sure that we get that. Um, 1 Peter chapter four, verse 12. Peter tells us, "Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice, that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you if you suffer. It should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who? Who do not obey the gospel of God and if it's hard for the righteous to be saved what will become of the ungodly and the sinner so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good that's just part of the Bible suffering is just part of following God it's not an evil thing I don't like it I'm not going to pretend that that it's wonderful and that I can't wait for more uh, but it does it doesn't mean that bad things only happen to bad people? Um, Christ Himself suffered; He was not He was obviously not evil. So we recognize that suffering and evil are not necessarily the same thing. and And, and then the follow up to this, to to address the problem of suffering, assumes that in chapter nine that we've read the previous chapters. Chapters one through eight of the, of John. John writes his book in a certain order. He's telling a a narrative that I don't I don't mean narrative like it's made up. I just mean that he chose what order to put things in. John ends his book with there was a whole lot more that I could say, but there's not enough room. John chose things that weren't in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There was a different emphasis. On his book, in what he chooses to put into his gospel, as opposed to what he chooses to leave out, he's telling us something. And in reading chapters 1 through 8, one of the things that we see is that Jesus healed the lame and the sick, and he fed the hungry. He ministered to people. Suffering was a chance for, for, for other people to show love when someone is suffering, there is a chance for us to minister. If everybody's life was perfect and nobody was ever in need, there wouldn't be a lot of chance for ministry. And I honestly believe that ministry does more for me than it does for the people that I minister to. And I think the same for you. When you minister, I think it does more for you probably, than it does for the person that you're ministering to. It's a good thing. And, and as Christians, I think that we need that opportunity to minister. So what caused this man's blindness? Well, not God. It's simply the cost of living in a broken and fallen world. We're only here for a short time. And while we're here, we have lots of opportunities to show the love of God. But our time is short. There is a sense of urgency that we must understand our lives are short, and i don't I don't know how much longer our world has. I'm not a, a doom and gloom apocalypticist or whatever that word is where where I believe that the apocalypse is, the, the end of the world is right around the corner, but I know it's closer than it used to be uh, There is urgency, and we must understand that so you know Jesus tells this man. Go to the pool of Siloam, get that irritant out of your eye, wash now and be healed. And to us, we have to be reminded there is a sense of urgency. We're lazy. We wait around and assume that people will get around to meeting Jesus, but we have no idea what tomorrow holds, how many opportunities that we miss. Let us not be blind to the opportunities that God gives us. And so we continue reading in John chapter 9, Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, well, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? And so they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he now can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how can he see now? Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. Second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I like this Got blind guy. He's got courage. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 18, and in chapter 35, verse 5, and in chapter 42, verse 7, one of the things that we read throughout the book of Isaiah is that when the Messiah comes, the blind will see. Those were messianic passages. Who knew those passages better than anyone? The Pharisees. They knew. They knew that Jesus was fulfilling the signs of the Messiah, and it and it bugged them. It drove them crazy, uh, because Jesus was not the Messiah that they wanted, not the version they wanted. So, so they dug in, and they twisted Scripture and they made the evidence tried to make the evidence fit their ideas. He can't be the Messiah. Yeah, there's this theme running through the book of John, so far, you know, John chapter one, John chapter three, and chapters one through three in particular. Um, those that live in darkness don't want to come into the light they don't want to face reality. The darkness is comfortable. they would rather have the comfort of their sin and 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 being lost, but it's comfortable than to go into the light and have to face harsh truth harsh reality they stay in darkness where they can hide so that their deeds are not exposed but the cost is that they can they're, they're willfully blind they cannot see uh, the pharisees were willfully blind jesus performed miracles that isaiah would have said this heralds the coming of the messiah the pharisees knew that if anyone knew that they knew that he was going through the checklist of the signs of the Messiah. But they didn't want, even though Isaiah told them this was coming, they didn't want a faithful, suffering shepherd, servant. They wanted a warrior who would defeat Rome, someone who would restore Israel to a political greatness. Some people cannot see because they close their eyes and that's their choice, but it doesn't change who Jesus really is. Jesus... Jesus loved these Pharisees. He, a lot of the gospel is focused on his interactions with the Pharisees. He loved them. He's preaching to them. He is the great physician and he's teaching the Pharisees what it means to cure blindness. I think to a large extent, because they make up so much of this chapter, I think chapter 9 is about Jesus' ministry to the Pharisees and what he's teaching them, but he's also teaching us. Sinners are blind to their own interests to god to heaven to spiritual life that's in our best interest but sinners don't see that they 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 think short term we all it's human nature sinners like darkness we are called into the light we're we're called to be saints to come into the light even though it's awkward even though it means admitting that we were in the wrong the Pharisees were trying to force a square peg into a round hole to make Jesus fit their paradigm and that's what we do too that's what that's what people do all the time even in churches today we try to make Jesus our version of him try to fit him into our world but we cannot recreate him we cannot change Jesus we we want to make the gospel less offensive sand off the edges but that's a pagan version of Christianity. Uh, convert may, turning God from a relationship with a real I'll say person, but we know that I don't mean person like a human, right? But turning a relationship with a real person into a ritual, where he's no long he no longer is a person. He's just this force, this entity, this this like like electricity is a force. Electricity has rules. It has. Amps and watts and all these things that Eddie knows and I don't know and, um, and 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 that's just a force and you can manipulate the force and people treat God like that. People who go to church try to treat God like that. You know, that's what. That's why prosperity gospels are so popular. On TV. That's why I don't watch Christian television. Too much of its prosperity and too much is if you do this, and they use the phrase sow your seed a lot, you send an X amount of money to our to our TV station, your prayers will be answered, and if they're not, that's because you did something wrong and it's a ritual. But that's not the true relationship with God. Christ does not promise that suffering will go away. What Christ promises promises us is that he will be with us in the suffering, that we will have joy in the face of suffering because we are right with God and we are not alone. And so we keep reading in John chapter nine. We finish up the chapter. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Well, who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me, So that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see. And those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. I I have to, the question that has just bugged me. When Jesus runs into him again, does he recognize Jesus? He had to be good at voices, if nothing else, after living an entire life of blind. Did he recognize Jesus' voice? Or was there something even more going on? Or did Jesus have to, was this kind of Jesus introducing himself to him, I, I think the text is just vague enough. I can't tell if, if behind the scenes this is, ah, there you are, or Jesus comes up to this man and has to say, I'm the son of man because the man doesn't realize who Jesus is. I can't, I can't tell that from the text. Um, I have, if I were to take a guess, surely he could recognize Jesus' voice. The point of this encounter is not that Jesus can heal blind people. I, that, if if we're that shallow, we've missed the point. The point of this encounter is that Jesus loved this man, this blind man, loved him enough that he sought him out afterwards to talk to him, to tell him the truth. And he loved the Pharisees. I, I never want to forget that. Uh, it's very easy, I think, to read through the Gospels and see the Pharisees uh, setting themselves up as Jesus' enemy but we have to recognize that Jesus saw them not as his enemy, but as the victims of the devil, that they needed to be saved from sin and come to truth as well. And we know that in, in the case of like Nicodemus, some of them did come to the truth. There were some that were with him even here. Um, Jesus created encounters with people, with the Pharisees, with the crowds. He loves the crowd. Uh, that's why churches grow. The church is the is the crowd, the assembly, the called out ones, the ecclesia. The church is called to love Jesus, and churches grow when churches love jesus, not programs i, I i'm I'm all for church programs, but they 're not the point, right? The point of the church is not the church it 's not inward focus. The point of the church is to point to Christ, Second Peter chapter one, verse five. He is nearsighted and blind. He has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how the church grows. That's that's the manual for success um, for a church. There's nothing worse than refusing to see, when you have the chance, nothing more painful than refusing a cure when it's offered. So, one of my preacher buddy friends back in Illinois, we had, we went to college together. We both ended up preaching in Southern Illinois. His name is Greg. Uh, certainly one of the one of my one of the better friends I've had in my life. Greg Greg went into preaching from having been a farmer, um, and more than anything, he was mostly into he was mostly a pig farmer. But he did some crops on the side. Um, and Greg was sharing that, that, and generations of farmers. And when Greg was younger uh, and hadn't got into pig farming yet and was still doing a, a more crop farming, he had this discussion with his dad, his his granddad. So his granddad was old-fashioned and didn't use much in the way of fertilizer. These new, what, what at the time were these new fertilizers? And Greg had to have that conversation and, and, and had to show him the results and said, look, I'm getting 70 bushels an acre, and you're not getting anywhere near that. And his granddad had to say, man, I hate that you're right. I hate seeing that, but I also hate not making as much money. And I think I'll have to make that shift even if I don't like it because it's clearly more effective. Because it would be stupid to say, oh, you're just making that up or, oh, your fields are clearly not doing as good as mine when the evidence was there. Whether, whether Greg's granddad liked it or not is not the issue. Right? Truth is not based upon what we like. It's just based upon the evidence. Um, one of my favorite preachers ever, um, who uh, sadly just passed away, I think, last year, Ben Merrill, um, was was one of the most successful preachers I, I know. Wise, just, just incredibly wise. Um, Ben said, I'm not always right. He said, People think, oh, I'm. I, he said, Sometimes I get it wrong. He said, The church that he was at at one point was had this plan, had this ministry they were going to do. And Ben said, I didn't like it. I didn't think it was going to work. They went over my head. They did it. We gained 300 people in the church. He preached at a church of thousands. He said, I, I was wrong. He said, I'm glad that we didn't go with what I liked what I wanted, uh, because he said it's it's not about me. The elders made a decision. And they decided the preacher wasn't going to be right, and he said it hurts my ego a little bit, but they were correct. There is a cure to blindness, but we're not talking about the uh, lack of, of our our eyes seeing things. Um, what we're talking about is sin. Grace is the cure, and and like that dust, that irritates us, the Holy Spirit convicts us. Um, gets The Holy Spirit tells us, get rid of the sin. Um, too many would rather get rid of the Holy Spirit, get rid of the irritation. Rather, They would rather not see. But Jesus came to rescue us from darkness. We can see again, if if we want to, because it's a choice. That man didn't have to go wash in the pool. He could have stayed blind. Um, that there is a cost. There's always a cost. That one thing that man was a beggar. He lost the ability to beg. He lost. He lost that. Uh, I, I would think that he felt that that was worth it. But now he's going to have to get a real job. He can't. He can't beg for for alms anymore. He lost his welfare. Some some people would prefer to wallow in misery than have the responsibility uh, of of working or uh, putting forth effort, this man was kicked out of the temple. I think his parents were afraid of that; uh, they didn't want to get kicked out. You know, and that's that's the reminder that sometimes family is in the wrong. The, the The son shows so much more fortitude, courage than the parents do. The parents were in the wrong this time. I think. I man, I I've known too many. Fam- I've known too many families, too many people. That have avoided the truth because even if they knew it was truth, because of family, um, I, uh, lady, ladies, I need you to hold it down. Um, I've known people that have said, "I'm not going to be baptized because my mom not not because I don't think I need to, but mom and dad weren't baptized, and my grandparents were baptized, so I don't want to do it." And and it's not because they don't think that it's important. They they don't get baptized because. That would be to admit that mom and dad maybe got it wrong, but family can't save us. And loyalty to family over loyalty to the truth doesn't, it's not going to save us. It doesn't help us. There's a cost for us. The, co- the first cost in coming to Christ is our sight. We may see things that we were happier when we didn't see. Suffering, sin in our lives. And then that leads to a second cost, is transformation. Based upon what we see, we have to change, we have to act, we have to show effort, or we just go back to the way we were, but as Jesus tells these Pharisees, the problem, when you're blind, you you had an excuse. But if you claim to see, there's no excuse. And that is for all of us. Uh, This is the one I hope I put in the scriptures. If not, listen in. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Did I get this one in. This is the one I probably as the one I missed. I didn't have my wife helping me out. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. We cannot claim to see and then act as if we don't. We must be held accountable. Why does Jesus offer us this cure to our blindness? Because he loves us. Our hymn of invitation today is hymn number 714. The, the unschooled blind man has better reasoning than the Pharisees. And, and so i want to come back to this family thing for just a second. Um, Isaiah chapter 51 verse 7. Through the prophet God said, Hear me, you who know what is right... You people who have my law in your hearts, do not fear the reproach of men or be terrified by their insults. And we skip ahead to verse 12. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mortal men, the sons of men who are but grass, that you forget the Lord your maker, who stretch out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, that you live in constant terror every day, Because of the wrath of the oppressor who is bent on destruction. For where is the wrath of the oppressor? The blind man's parents first answered honestly, but they didn't like the reaction they got. And so they kind of started to backtrack. First they answered honestly, then they answered evasively, and then they just passed the buck on to their son. But if we have an encounter with God, then we don't have to fear man. Um, So then we, we compare the parents to the son, the blind man. You know how did he open your eyes? He's got four responses. He's a man called Jesus. He's a prophet. He is a man of God. He is the Son of God. Uh, the The spiritual journey of this blind man is incredible, and I think very, very indicative of of all of us, or what it's meant to be. Light, light that causes one man to see can blind another. Jesus is the light. Are we walking by His light, or are we? unable to see in, in in his brilliance. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.